Okay, if you have your Bible, if you can open up to Ephesians, which is in the New Testament. We're going to look again today at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And again, look at just two words in that section. Maybe you've heard the name Adonai Judson. He was an American who arrived in a country south of India called Burma at the time in 1813. He was to go on to spend the better part of 30 years toiling in the jungles for Jesus. He labored six grueling years to gain his first convert to Jesus. It took him another 12 years to gain 18 converts to Christ. All the while, he buried two wives and six children in the Burmese soil. Now, back in the United States, Judson's work was celebrated in print and from the pulpit alike. And over the years, he became kind of a, of a hero. And so, on one of his trips back to the United States, Vance Christie tells the story of the people who thronged to hear the great missionary, Adoniram Judson. And as he opened his mouth, he wasn't used to speaking English, but Christie records this. For about 15 minutes, he spoke, being Judson, with simplicity of the, what the precious, precious, precious Savior has done for his people and what they owed Jesus. As Judson sat down, it was apparent that most of his listeners were disappointed. After the service, several people asked his wife, Emily, why Judson had not shared, instead, a colorful story of his missionary experiences. When she mentioned the matter to him on his way home, he responded, What? They were disappointed? What did they want? I presented the most interesting subject in the world to the best of my ability. She said, but they wanted something different. A story. Judson said, well, I'm sure I gave them a story, the most thrilling story that can be conceived of. She said, but they heard it before. They wanted something new from a man who had just returned from the mission field. And he says, wisely, then I'm glad that I told them that a man from the mission field had nothing better to tell than the wondrous story of Jesus' dying love. What I'm going to tell you today, probably you know. What I'm going to tell you today, you've heard. But today we're going to, guided by the Spirit and the Word of God, we're going to speak of our one common faith. Over the past few weeks, we've been reminding ourselves of many things that we already know. And sometimes those things that we think we know best are the things that we forget first. We've been directed by Paul at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And each week, we review of the, the story of the dying love of Christ. And we remind ourselves that we are one body with one Spirit, sharing one hope under one Lord with one common faith in one baptism serving our one God. There are many voices out there today saying Christians must do this or they must do that. What we must do is remember why we are united. We are united not because we live in the same nation 
or we have the same view on social justice, or we share one political party, or we share one view on race relations, or we, we have the same background. No, we are united because we are one body, filled with one spirit, sharing one hope under one Lord, sharing a common faith in one baptism, serving our one God. Now these things we know, they're not new, they're not novel, and they're not trending, and so that's exactly why we must not forget them. It may not be the things that everybody wants to hear, but we're echoing the words of Judson. We have nothing better to say than the wondrous story of Jesus' dying love. To that end, we're going to fight this morning to remember our common faith together. We're going to fight together this morning to remember our common faith together, our one faith. And I get this from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to look at, I'll read the whole thing for context, and you'll see the, the two words, one faith, in verse 5. If you have your Bible, follow along as I read from the Word of God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, as we quiet ourselves for just a moment here, I confess on behalf of all of us that we fall short and that we need your help. Lord, we fall short. We don't come in a people who are worthy. We come in a people who are forgiven. And there's a difference. We come in trying to tune out the noise that we hear in our culture at this time. We need help. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be with us in power as we consider this one faith. We don't merely want to learn. They don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. My weakness is profound, but your strength, your strength, is beyond what I can imagine. And so we all ask for help today from the resources and the stores of your strength so that we might hear your voice. And in your name we pray. Amen. Our one faith. Our one faith. First we need to define our terms. The word faith will be our first point. See, faith can be taken in two ways. See, when I hear the word faith, I'm often left to think of the faith that I have in something or in Jesus. But that's not the way that Paul wants us to think of this one faith. The one faith that we, he wants to direct our attention to is not how much we believe, but who we believe upon. One faith does not refer to our experience of faith, but to the content of what we believe. Do you see the difference? This is very important to recognize. 
Too often we Christians think about faith in terms of how much we have. Let's be real. None of us have enough in Jesus. Jesus has given everything. Jesus has given his all. Jesus has given us a reason to hope both in life and in death. And we owe much more allegiance to him than we give. We owe much more faith in him than we have. But the content of our, the amount of our faith is not the point here. Too many Christians are racked with guilt about how much faith they don't have. It doesn't matter how much faith you have, but who you have faith in. And today we're going to remind ourselves that our one faith must be and is in Jesus. Listen, all of us can all of us can stand to believe in him a little more. Every one of us. But that's another sermon for another day. Our one faith is that body of belief. Not a subjective experience. It's what we believe. And we're going to explore now in point two our one faith. In short, this is the message about Jesus Christ. It's sometimes called the gospel. The gospel in English means good news. And this is the only essential message in all of history. The substance of our faith is what's called the good news in the scriptures. This good news is worth building our life upon. These are the things that are worth living and dying for. Our one faith is more important than we can possibly conceive of. And this is a one faith that we know, but we're apt to forget. We must not forget. The core message of our one faith is summarized in many places in the Scripture, but I'll pick one. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. We read this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Basic to our one faith means that we have a Savior who did not wait for sinners to come to him. He did not wait for rebels to turn over a new leaf. What he did is he came to us so that he might die in our place. We might be able to relate to what it's like to give our life for somebody that we love. The annals of history tell tales of people who've taken bullets for someone else, or soldiers that have jumped on grenades, or mothers who have been beaten to a pulp in protection of their children. Many who have been killed in the place of another person that they love. But our God is different. That's not the story that we see here in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. We see the love of God in a completely different way. God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, enemies, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. That is the core and the content of our one faith. We have a God whose love is beyond what we can imagine. We might be able to imagine dying for somebody that we love, but we can't imagine dying for somebody who we hate and who hates us. But that's what God did. That's what God did. Do, you, do any of you have enemies? Most of us probably don't, really. Most of us have people that when 
that we've maybe had a clash with in the past or have said some unkind things about us on Facebook or we get in a, a row on social media. We have people like that who we tend to maybe want to avoid if we happen upon them at a party or a wedding or a funeral. They're not enemies. They're people that it's awkward for us to interact with. That's not an enemy. And usually that's the closest we can get to to understanding what that's like. Imagine having a real enemy, though. Imagine having someone who lives to kill you. Imagine having someone who's sworn a blood oath not to rest until your blood is on their hands. This would not be the kind of thing that you would take lightly. You might hire protection. You probably wouldn't sleep well. You probably would never eat sitting down. You would avoid crowds. You would always plan where you're going because you would never know if your enemy was around the corner ready to take your life. Your eyes would be on the horizon and you would never feel rest. You'd probably go from rage to fear and back again. Now, what would you give for that enemy? What would you give of yourself for that enemy? Nothing. Maybe a hope that that enemy would go away or die? But what kindness would you give that enemy? A person who wants you dead. I would say not much. Oh, how different Jesus is from us. See, here's one thing we need to recognize about our faith. We believe in a God who sent his son to reb so that rebels might live. He sent his son to die so that rebels like us might live. And you know what? If you're a Christian and you've been in church for years, that might sound normal, that might sound expected, but it's not. See, this is why we think about what Christ has done for us every time we gather. Because guess what? We are apt to forget, but we must remember. This is the content of our one faith. This is the content of who we are. Jesus died for the weak, ungodly sinners and enemies. Jonathan Edwards says, The gospel reveals the wonderful love of God the Father to the poor, sinful, miserable men and giving Christ not only to love them in the world, but to love them to the end. And all of this love is spoken of as bestowed on us while we were wanderers, outcasts, worthless, guilty, and even enemies. See, the content of our faith is not based on how much we believe, but the content of our faith is based on how much He loves us and how much He has done for us, And we can be united as a church around a Savior like that. His love for us will outlast the world. His love will endure past the time when the sky is rolled up like a scroll and the stars fall from their place. Our one faith is based on His one sacrifice. We know this, but we need to remember it. We need to remember it. We need to remember it so that this one faith doesn't start to make sense. And that's one of the things we can do as Christians, is think, huh, well, it makes sense that Jesus would die for me. No, it doesn't. 
It doesn't. Why would he do that? You see, when we get used to this message, that's when we're on the precipice of beginning to forget this message. It should bother us to some degree that our sins were enough for God to send his son to die so that I might live. That's the exchange. That should bother us a little bit or a lot or press us into worship because the holy God of the universe sacrificed his son so that we might have life. That doesn't make sense. But our God doesn't make sense always to our human minds. His love is not a love that we can categorize or catalog or communicate in pithy little statements. No, what we can do is we know the content and the substance of our one faith is that Jesus died for the ungodly. So this is why we're not going to get sidetracked on what is new, novel, or trending. We want to focus on what never changes. Our one faith is based on this one sacrifice. See, Christian, this is part of why we need to remember this. We can remember very well, if you're like me, you remember those times this week you fell short. You remember those times that you sinned. You remember the temptation that you have in your mind to judge others all the time. You remember the rash words you yelled this week in anger. You remember that text you shouldn't have sent. You remember the lustful thoughts that jump around in your mind. You remember the times you skate to video games and sports and work and not to Jesus. You remember when you called in sick and you weren't really. You remember those things. You remember those failures from this week, this month, this year, this decade. What we need to remember is that those failures do not separate us from the love of God. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. No longer must sin reign in our lives, but yet even in our sin, we cannot out the grace of God. And how we need to remember that. This is preeminent. This is the content of our one faith. We have a better memory for our failures than we do his love. And you wonder, does he love me? I just did this or I just did that. You know what, if you look at the anger that you just spilled out on that text, you might wonder, did, does he really love me? And you can say, maybe not, look at what I just did. But that's not where we direct our vision. We direct our eyes somewhere else. God shows his love to us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Where do we see confirmation of his love? In his death. As Judson said, that is a wondrous thing. We will not face punishment for our sins. We are entirely and completely forgiven. But it gets better. The further content of our faith is not just that we're forgiven, 
To be forgiven is to take an account that you could never pay back and take it to zero, which is wonderful. We don't owe anything, but it gets better than that. Our faith, the content of our faith means that when you believe in Jesus and you know that you don't have to pay eternal death for the sins that you've committed, you are now forgiven, but also you are declared righteous. You are given the righteousness of God through your belief in Christ. And so now, it's not just that your account's zero and the Lord puts up with you. No, you are declared forever and ever righteous. So, that's the faith that we have as Christians, as a church. And that's the faith we unite upon. This is what unites us. And this is what we must not forget. We must remember the substance of our one faith. Because it's easy to forget, especially in this cultural moment. And there's a lot of voices out there demanding that churches do X or Y or Z that are not listed in the scriptures. What we do see here is a command from God to walk in a manner worthy, to make every effort to maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. That's what we must do. That's what we must not forget. That's what we must remember that we are united upon. Now, may we do other things as believers? Sure. But a church is not going to be faithful to her mission if she forgets the one faith or takes that one faith and shoves it to the periphery and says, Jesus and his death is important, but let's talk about social justice. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about this. And instead, and it's good. Those are good conversations. But what happens is when this one faith is shunted to the side, we forget. And we must not forget. Center Church, we are united upon this one faith. We're united together not because we live in one nation or have the same view on social justice or because we share the same political party or have the same, same view of race relations or that we're even of the same race or the same background. No, we are united because we believe the same thing, that we were once enemies of God who didn't deserve any love, but yet in Christ we were given everything because he died and lives again so that we, we might not pay the penalty for our sins, so that we might know that we will never, ever have to face the wrath of God because Jesus faced the wrath of God for us. That is the message, and that is the content of what we are united around, and may we never forget it. That is, as Judson said, the wondrous message, the wondrous story of his undying love. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful. Jesus, I'm grateful that I have a faith that exists outside of me. I'm grateful that, that I can look to the cross and recognize that all of my sin has been decisively dealt with as Jesus died.
I'm grateful that that death, though, did not claim Jesus forever, but just three days. And that in rising, hope rose too. And so, Lord, I pray that as a church, we would stay united around those things that you have called us to unite around and expect that people are going to have, that many people are going to have different opinions about different things. And Lord, may that not drive a wedge between us, but instead, Lord, may we be a people who firmly fix our hope on you and that our one faith together is what defines us and unites us. I pray that we would be a people who would willingly and happily overlook disagreements and disappointments, hardships, and trials. Things that get on our nerves about other people here at our church. And look instead to our one faith. Jesus, thank you. I, I just pray that we would be a church a people who don't think, who, who just are, are in awe at the gospel, at the message that you, an infinite God, loves us, and you showed that love by sending your son. I pray that that would never make sense. I pray that we wouldn't go, yeah, that's right. We deserve that. Or, yeah, that's right, I've heard it so much, I already know that. No, may it be a story that we hear and go, yeah, isn't that amazing? Where would we be without you? And may the testimony of our unity tell a story to the watching world, Lord. May we be today, tomorrow, the day after that, and the year after that, united under and upon this one faith. Jesus, it's in your name in your name that we pray and agree and ask for help. Amen.